There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, we have the privilege of having a brief Bible study together. Now, each Saturday, we are offering on the weekend pulpit a full-length Bible message that's been given recently in some local church or gospel event. And my prayer is that God will use the Word of God to encourage you in a very special way today. This particular series of messages is very special and dear to my heart because it comes from my life book, the book of Philippians, the book of Christian joy, where the Lord says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. And the Lord used these Bible messages to help us all learn to enjoy the journey. Amen. Well, I love to see evidences of the moving of God, don't you? You don't always know when the Lord's working. Uh, but sitting here listening to these testimonies and the spirit of it all tonight has been very encouraging to this preacher. And I want you to know that. And I thank the Lord for the way you have responded to the Word of God this week. We've had a wonderful time in the Scriptures. And uh, I will leave tomorrow morning, God willing, and I go back to my family for a couple of days and then on to the next place for meeting. And I appreciate your prayers for us. And I'll say a word maybe at the end of the meeting tonight about a few resources on how we can stay in touch, and I want to do that. But I want you to know, I believe the greatest days for this church are the days ahead. And that God has laid a great foundation, and there's a spiritual stirring here. And I'm praying with you for a very fruitful season in the weeks that lie ahead. Well, let's open the Word of God tonight. Turn with me to the book of Zephaniah, would you please? Ah, no. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. Sorry. It was worth doing just to see the look on your faces. How many of you read Philippians 4? Oh, it's good. Very good. And the Word of God is wonderful. It's not the preacher. It's the Word of God. And I hope you'll go back to this book again and again and allow the Lord to use it in your life. As a matter of fact, if I could challenge you to do something, what if you took the rest of this week and just lived in Philippians? Just the rest of this week. Start over tomorrow, Philippians chapter 1, then chapter 2, then chapter 3, then chapter 4. I'm afraid too often when we finish meetings, we think, well, that's done now. And I think that's the time to go back and gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Amen. Don't you believe that a God who has spoken to us this much has more to say? Make this your prayer, Lord, be thorough with me. If you'll pray that prayer and go back through this again, I promise you the Lord has more that He wants to apply to your life. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. That's a great expression, isn't it? How many of you know your name's in the book of life? Oh, I know my name is written there. It was written there because I took God at His word and Jesus as my Savior. And there's a record on earth, but if the record on earth gets lost, I'll tell you, God keeps better records than man ever did. And I know my name is there. Then we come to our verse for the night. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Read it with me aloud. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now look at it. Put your eyes on the verse. I want you to read it with feeling this time. Ready? Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Turn to the person next to you and read it to them. Ready? Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Look back at me. Let's try it again. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, what I'm doing is brainwashing you. That's what I'm doing. But it's a good brainwashing because it's the washing of water by the Word. And if this gets in your heart, it's going to help you be the Christian God wants you to be. I've said to you already that the book of Philippians is a book of Christian joy. I love it. I absolutely love it. I meet too many people who say they know Jesus that seem to exhibit none of the joy of Jesus Christ. If you think living the Christian life is miserable, maybe you don't know Christ like you think you do. Because the nearer you get to Jesus, the more of His joy rubs off on you. That doesn't mean the circumstances are always easy or people are always nice or you always feel good, but it means that the Lord is always the same and the joy of the Lord can be your strength no matter where you are. You might be living in wicked Philippi or you might be sitting in a prison cell with Paul, but wherever you happen to be, this is the truth, God is there. And if God is there, then His joy is possible right where you are. Look at the verse with me again. Let's read it again. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's the first word and the last word of the verse? Sounds like a command to me. Not like I got a warm, fuzzy feeling. It sounds like God said, do this, and I'm supposed to do it. And then notice these two words. Rejoice in the Lord. What's that word? Alway. That's an encompassing word. It literally means it's it's the extent of it. It's a time word. All way to the end of your life. All way through the day. All way through the circumstances. And then notice this word: rejoice in the Lord alway. And what's the next word? Remember, Paul was the one that said, I don't mind telling you the same things over again. It's the safe things. So he repeats himself. I heard a guy years ago said, he said, never repeat, I say, never repeat for emphasis. He got his point across, didn't he? The Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, that's the extent, and again, that's the emphasis, I say, rejoice. Now, before I walk you through this chapter tonight, I want to tell you that I am not preaching tonight for tonight. Most of the time when preachers come to a meeting, they're preaching specifically just to an invitation at the end of the meeting. We'll have an invitation, and I'm going to ask you to do something with the Word of God tonight before we leave this place. And there's a definite thing I'm going to call on you to do. But I'm not just preaching for this meeting. I'm preaching for six weeks from now. I'm preaching for a year from now. You see, as an evangelist, when you come into a meeting like this, one of my favorite meetings of the week is the first meeting. I really like the first meeting because I believe if God can begin to work and we begin to get open to Him in the first meeting, then there's no limit to what God could do in the rest of the meetings. But for me, one of the most challenging meetings is the last meeting. For many reasons, but for one reason, because I stand and I look at a group of people and they're wonderful and they're precious and they've been an encouragement to me and they've nodded their heads and they've looked pleasant and they've said amen and they've responded to the invitation and I'm getting ready to leave and I'm standing here thinking, I wonder if any of this is going to make a difference when this meeting's over. 
Because the reality is the real test of the meeting is not how many people come forward. It's how many people go out and apply what they've learned from the Word of God. So I'm speaking tonight on this subject. Maybe you'd like to write it down because I'm going to give you some things to write down tonight that come directly from Philippians chapter 4. I'm speaking tonight on how to stay happy in Jesus. I'm not preaching on how to get happy in Jesus. I'm talking about how to stay happy in Jesus. It was old George Mueller, and I'll mention him again, I'm sure, before the night's over. I love Mueller. It was old George Mueller that said the first thing he had to do every morning when he got out of bed was get his soul happy in Jesus. Now, let's take a survey. How many morning people are among us? Would you raise your hand? All you morning people? Good. We don't like you. I want you to know that. <laughs> how many night people are here? All you night people? That's right. And how many of you are neither? Raise both hands in the air. Good. That means you've got two hours right in the middle of the day where you're good. Other than that, it's rough, right? The truth of the matter is, I get up some mornings and I don't feel happy in Jesus. People look at preachers and they think we just jump out of bed every morning. Can't wait to read the Bible, pray, and tell the world about Jesus. Can I tell you nothing could be further from the truth? Do you know why this, that is? Because, look here, you know what this is? You know what this is? It's called flesh. And you can dress it up and you can give it a Bible and you can even let it preach and it's still just dirty, rotten, sinful flesh. And you've got to battle it every day of your life. And I've learned that Mueller was right, that one of the great secrets to living a victorious Christian life and a consistent Christian life is how I begin my day. That if I can get my heart happy in Jesus in the morning hour, that doesn't mean some unhappy things not going to slap me in the face when I walk out the door or get to work, but it means if I go into it with the joy of the Lord, that God gives me a sense of His presence that will carry me through that day and whatever it is I have to deal with. So the secret is not just getting happy in Jesus, but it is then staying happy in Jesus. How do you do that? Well, let's walk through the passage and let's just let God speak, all right? And the only outline I'm going to give you tonight is what I believe the Lord is saying from Philippians chapter 4. Notice, please, how he begins the chapter. And this is fascinating to me. He begins by dealing with their relationships with one another. How many of you know nothing brings conflict like family fighting? Nothing. Nothing disrupts the joy like when you can't get along. By the way, what's true in a home is also true in a church family. Somebody said most churches are more like goat pens than sheepfolds because everybody's always butting heads all the time. That's not a good thing at all. I don't sense that about this church, and I'm very grateful for it, but I'm just going to warn you right now that because God is working in this way, because the Holy Spirit is speaking, because victories are being won, you just mark it down. The devil's going to do something to try to stir up strife, contention, and conflict somewhere. Don't you be aching that lets the devil get his foot in the door. Doesn't take much room for a serpent to slither through, and that's what the devil is. He's just an old serpent. Don't let, it, let him have a crack in your life or in your family or in this church. So here's the first principle. I want you to write it down. If you want to stay happy in Jesus, number one, you've got to stay right with one another. And I think he starts here because that's one of the hardest things to do. People want to be right with God. They just don't want to be right with everybody else. <laughs> they want to be able to pray. They just don't want to talk to that person. They want to be able to, to hear from God. They just don't want to have any communication with those individuals. And I want to say to you, if you're going to be a happy Christian all the days of your life, 
then you're going to have to learn how to stay right with others. That doesn't mean they're always right, and it sure doesn't mean you're always right. But it means it is always right for you to try to make peace and keep unity. Now, notice these verses. In verse number 1, it starts by being faithful to those who've taught you. I think that's interesting. He appeals to them as his joy and his crown. He says, would you please stand fast in the Lord? Let me tell you, nothing helps a preacher's heart any more than to see people living and walking in the truth. Amen, Pastor? Nothing. And if you want to encourage the man of God, then I want to say to you, do your best to apply what you're learning from the Scriptures. Then you come to verse number 2. Not only do you have to deal with those over you, you have to deal with those around you. Notice that he calls two people out. How'd you like to be called out by an inspired letter? Think about it. How'd you like your name to be in the Bible? Most Bible teachers believe these were, were two ladies in the church at Philippi. And we don't know for sure, but just from the context, he says to these two women, would you please be of the same mind in the Lord? You get the idea they'd had some little disagreement. Shocking to think anybody would ever have a disagreement, isn't it? Somebody says, well, we just can't agree. Can I tell you the secret? We don't all have to agree with one another. We have to agree with Jesus. Look at the verse. He says, be of the same mind, what? In the Lord. Remember Philippians chapter 2, two chapters previous? We're to have the mind of Christ. So what do we do? We don't always have to agree on everything, but here's what we do. Here's what we do. We say to the Lord, now, Lord, we're going to find out what your mind is, and whatever you say, we're all going to come to agree on that. You see, the common point of unity and oneness is what does the Lord want, not what do I want. You know the greatest struggle in a family is? Who gets to be the boss? Can I tell you who likes to be the boss? Everybody. Dad wants to be the boss. Mama wants to be the boss. And guess what? The children want to be the boss too. But when you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, we just want your way, then the Lord brings peace. Look at verse number 3. He refers, notice these words, yoke fellow. And then he says, them which labored with me. And then he uses the word fellow laborers. You know what he's saying? Help one another. Don't just avoid the negatives. No, on the positive side, you minister. You be a blessing. Say a kind word. Write a note. Make a visit. Make a phone call. Go out of your way. Lift somebody's burden. That's the way to live the Christian life in the context of a local church. And here's the beautiful thing. When you begin to minister to the needs of others, guess what? God will take care of your needs. It'll help you stay happy in Jesus to stay right with one another. Look at verse number 5. Now, I believe verse 5 goes with the first four verses. He says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. When I say moderation today, people say, Eat moderation and you know, be moderate about your, your disciplines of life. But that's actually not what this word means. This word is a word that means gentleness. That's why I believe it goes with the first four verses. Can I tell you how to deal with one another, to stay right with one another? Don't be harsh with other people. Be gentle with them. You know what we do? We're easy on ourselves and hard on others, and we ought to reverse that. Be hard on you and gentle on others. And as you show the gentleness of Jesus to other people, I'm going to tell you what you'll do. You'll be a peacemaker. Somebody says, we need some peacekeepers. There's no such thing. Somebody's got to make peace. It's not about keeping it. It's about making it. That means you've got to take the initiative. How do you do that? There's one little statement here at the end of verse number 5 that I think is the secret of staying right with other people. Would you look at it? The Bible says, the Lord 
is at hand. For years, I heard preachers preach that, that it means Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, for the record, I believe Jesus is coming. But I think when it says the Lord is at hand, it means His presence is here right now. Can I tell you how to stay right with other people? Recognize the presence of God in the midst of that relationship. When you bring God into the conversation, friend, He changes everything. When you bring the Lord into a marriage, He changes the marriage. When you bring God into the parent-child relationship, He changes the whole dynamic. When you let the Lord have His way in a local church, it is no longer about me and you. Now it's all about us and the Lord. All eyes on Jesus. And I want to say to you, the only way to live in victory is to live consciously every day in the presence of Jesus Christ. Number one, stay right with one another. Let's read on. Look at verse 6, famous verses. Be careful for what? (laughs) Nothing. But in what? Everything. Don't you love these all-encompassing words? The Lord leaves no room here. Be careful, anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Write it down. Number two, if you want to stay happy in Jesus, not only do you have to stay right with one another, you have to stay prayerful. Might I say to you tonight that every Christian either lives careful or prayerful? One of the two. You're either going to live an anxious, worried, fretful kind of life, wringing your hands and trying to figure it out and scheming your way through life, or you're going to learn what it means to truly live in an attitude of prayer, and you've got to decide which, which life you're going to live. Let me just pause and say a personal word about the meeting we've had this week. I truly believe in my heart the reason we've had such a rich and wonderful meeting is not because of the preaching but because of the praying. Now, I believe in preaching, and I'm doing it right now. But I want you to know that the preaching is a whole lot easier and much better received and responded to when it has been saturated with prayer. You all prayed over this meeting. You prayed over these services. You prayed over your homes. You prayed over this church. And God is answering your prayers. Now, here's what we do. When we stop that prayerfulness, don't expect the blessing to continue. Everybody wants the product without the process today. So we must stay on our knees. You want this church to move forward? Churches only move forward on their knees. Advancing by looking to the Lord. Notice in verse 6 is what we keep, and in verse 7 is what he keeps. I love this. Our part and God's part. In verse 6, what do I keep? Well, I must keep myself thankful. Stay grateful. God inhabits the praises of his people. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. Stay thankful. And then only keep yourself thankful. Look at verse number 6. Keep yourself giving every care to God. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth you. Everything in your life, everything that touches you and that you struggle and stress and strain over, bring that into the presence of God. Run to Jesus with it. I was looking at this hymn earlier. Everybody take out your hymn book just for a second. Take out your hymn book for a moment. I'm not going to sing so you can relax, all right? I want you to find hymn 260. When you get to hymn 260, you're going to find one of the great hymns of the Christian faith, one of my personal favorites. How many of you know this hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. Now, we sing that hymn, and we like that hymn. We say we like the tune of that hymn. But do you know the story behind that hymn? There's a name at the top left-hand corner. Do you see it? His name is Joseph Scriven. Joseph Scriven was a young man. He was living overseas in Europe where he was from. He was engaged to be married to a beautiful girl. 
days before their wedding ceremony, she was tragically killed. His life just fell apart. The love of his life was gone. He was a dedicated Christian, and he thought, you know, maybe I need to get a change of scenery. So he left where he was in Europe, and he moved to Canada, relocated, got a job far away from family and anyone who knew him, just trying to get it out of his mind. He's living in Canada, and he meets another young lady. Several years have gone by. He falls in love again. Ask her to marry him. She says yes. And the night before their marriage, she drowned. Can you imagine? Two women he was engaged to be married to. Both of them died before they ever came to the wedding altar. He's at low ebb now. And so at that moment, he gets a letter in the mail from his mother overseas, and she says, I'm dying. I'm sick. Probably not going to see me again. I'm writing to tell you goodbye. Can you imagine? I mean, the bottom's just falling out. And in the middle of that, Joseph Scriven fell on his knees and said, Oh, God, you've got to help me. And suddenly, thousands of miles away from home, and at the bottom of it all, he enters the presence of God, and God gives him such joy, unexplainable peace and grace. And out of that, Joseph Scriven wrote these words. Look at the words. They're going to take on new meaning now. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. I love verse 3. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Look, we may be on the mountaintop tonight, but there's a valley waiting. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just telling you the truth. Let's have a reality check. I mean, the meeting doesn't go on forever. The battle is before us, and we must stay prayerful. And notice, if that's what we keep, look in verse 7 what God keeps. God keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? If you'll keep close to Him, He'll keep your heart and mind where it's supposed to be. You want to stay happy in Jesus, number one, stay right with one another. Number two, stay prayerful. Number three, stay in the Word. Look at verse number eight. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do And the God of peace shall be with you. And somebody's going to say, well, preacher, I read those two verses. I don't see the Scripture in there anywhere. Oh, yes. Some time ago I was meditating on this portion of Scripture. All of my life I've heard people say that this is an eightfold test of your thought life. And I think that's true. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, on and on and on. And this is what we're supposed to think. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I tell you what that really is? That really is a revelation of God's thoughts. 
Let me tell you what God's thoughts are. Look at the list. God's thoughts are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. That's God's mind. That's God's thoughts. Wait a minute. Where do you find God's thoughts? Oh, wait. He wrote them in a book. Word is the expression of thought. That's why Jesus is called the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. How many of you would like to know what God's thinking? If you want to know what God's thinking, read his book. George Whitfield said, God condescended to become an author, and most people will never even read the book he wrote. You see, this book we're studying is the very thoughts of God. So watch this, please. The only way you can keep your thoughts where they ought to be is you've got to stay in the Word, and the Word of God has to stay in you. I think that's proven in verse number 9 that he's talking about the Scripture because he refers to those things that they had learned and received and heard and seen and those things that they were to do. What's he referring to? The things he's taught them through the Word of God. Choose to think God's thoughts and choose to live in God's Word. And when you do, oh, this is thrilling to me. Notice the end of verse 9. He says, the God of peace will be with you. What is that verse in Psalm 119? Great Peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You want to stay happy in Jesus? Stay in the book. Part of the reason we've had such a sweet time this week when we've come to the meetings is you've been in the Word before you ever came to the meeting. See, many of the things you've learned this week, I didn't say. No, no, the real preacher said them. The Holy Spirit of God showed you things in a chapter and in a verse and arrested your attention. Let me just tell you, he wants to continue doing that when this meeting's over if you will stay in the Word of God. And did you notice, if you pray, you get the peace of God, but if you stay in the Word, you get the God of peace. I like that, don't you? You don't just get peace. You get God himself revealing himself to you through the pages of Holy Scripture. I'm telling you, there's nothing like staying in the Word of God. Old Mueller that we talked about a few minutes ago, late in life, late in life, they asked George Mueller, they said, Mr. Mueller, you seem like a happy man. By the way, the devil has no happy old people. But the Lord should have some. And yet, and yet, I meet too many aged saints of God who've become cynical and critical. I pray, dear Lord, deliver me from that. I don't want to be a miserable old person. I'd like to be joyful to the end. Acts says this. The apostle Paul said, I want to finish my course with what? Joy. I want to finish with joy, not just start with joy. They asked Mueller late in life. They said, you seem like you're still a happy man. You had all those orphans to take care of and never asked for any money, had to pray in all the food for them. How'd you stay happy? And they said, George Mueller started laughing. And he said, for the last 69 years, I've read through the Bible four times every year on my knees. Now, you think about that four times every year on his knees. And then they said, Mueller laughed and said, for 69 years, I've been a happy man. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Duck Dynasty didn't start happy, happy, happy. <laughs> no, the happy Christians, the joyful saints, are those who discovered what it means to stay in the Word. Here's the fourth one. Would you write it down? If you want to stay happy in Jesus, stay content in Christ. Look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what, church? There's that word. And by the way, it's not a dirty word. It's a good word. 
We just don't live it much. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. Look at that. Everywhere. Your surroundings may change. In all things. Your situation may change. Your state may change. But Jesus never changes. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then this glorious verse, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Can I tell you what never changes? Your strength never changes if your strength is in Jesus Christ. People love Philippians 4.13, and they like to quote it all by itself, and it does stand alone. But I'll remind you, every text has a context. And the context of I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me is that God's going to give you the joy to be content right where you are. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can change everything. Some people quote this verse like it's a promise that I can change everything. I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. God may design and desire not to change your circumstance, but to rather make you content in the midst of that. That's how you stay happy in Jesus. By the way, this is a lesson we learn over and over again. Let me prove it to you. Look at verse number 11. He says, I have learned. Have is past tense. I I have learned it. Now look at verse 12. I am instructed. Present tense. How many of you find yourself learning the same lessons over and over again? So I might tell you, well, you know, 20 years ago I learned to be content in Christ. You know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to teach me again today i got to be content in Christ. See, contentment works every day. It's present tense. My Aunt Goldie was a sweet, precious woman. She's in heaven now. I've had her funeral. She was actually a great aunt, and she lived in the old farmhouse out on our farm out in the country in West Virginia. Goldie's husband had died early in life. She lived as a widow the entire time I knew her, all of my life knowing her. She was a widow woman. They had one son. He lived in Colorado, and he never came to visit. I mean, never. I never met him. Never checked on his mother. She lived there all by herself. She made her own clothes. She raised a garden, canned her own vegetables. She had nothing. I mean, of this world's goods, she had nothing. She never forgot a birthday, never forgot Christmas, but she had really nothing. She lived there all by herself. You know, I wish I could go back and do some things over. One of the things I'd do is I'd stop more often. I'd stop more often. I used to ride my bike by her house and Every now and then I'd see her. She'd be sitting up there on that porch swing all by herself. I'd go up and check on her and try to be nice to her, but I should have spent more time. She had something. Near the end of her life, at least before I moved away, I was riding by her house one day, and I stopped and went up those rickety steps. She's sitting there swinging all by herself, and she had the most beautiful glow about her that day. I'll never forget it. I sat down next to her, and I said, Goldie, how are you doing today? She said, better than ever. I thought maybe she'd come into some money or her son had called to check on her. I didn't know. I said, really? Why is that? She started crying. She said to me, she said, you know, Scott, she said, I live here all by myself. She said, but sometimes when I'm here all by myself, I just like to get down on my knees and just look at him. And I sat there and thought, bless her heart, she's slipping now. She's really slipping (laughs) But now I've come to realize she'd gotten a hold of something. She had no one and she had nothing, and yet she had learned contentment in the presence of Christ alone. Maybe it'd be good for some of us just to get down on our knees again and just look at Him. See, a glimpse of Jesus meets every need in your life. That's the only way to stay happy in Jesus. I'll give you one more and I'll be done. 
How do you stay happy in Jesus, stay right with one another, stay prayerful, stay in the Word, stay content in Christ? But number five, stay unselfish. We talked earlier in this book about the others principle, others, others. Notice he ends the book on the same note. Verse 14, notwithstanding, you've well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Notice they're ministering to the afflicted. Who's afflicted that needs ministering in your life? Verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Stop and look at me just for a second. That's not just sending money so Paul can be comfortable. The reason Paul went to Thessalonica was to preach the gospel of Christ. You know what it says about the church at Philippi? Their number one thing was this. They weren't just trying to give out some charity. They were investing in the advancement of the gospel. If you want the Lord to use you in your Jerusalem, go to the ends of the earth. If you want God to bless this local assembly, keep investing in mission work and evangelism and getting the gospel around the globe. Look at verse 17, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Let's just stop there. Would you stop there for just a second? When you learn to give and be an unselfish person, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Him. When you give, you're not giving to men. You're giving to God. By the way, when you receive from someone, you're not even receiving from men. You're receiving from God. There may be many channels, but there's only one source. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And God's designed it so we get to get in on what He's doing in the world. That's thrilling to me. We get to minister on the behalf of Christ. We get to share the message of the gospel. We get in on what God is doing. Look, He's the greatest giver. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Read on. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. May I just point out, I'm sorry to bust somebody's bubble tonight, that this promise cannot be claimed if you do not meet the condition. Everybody loves to claim the promise. Oh, that's a promise. We're going to claim the promise. My friend, that's a conditional promise. God supplies your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus as you do what God has told you to do. My pastor used to say it this way. When you pour yourself out, you'll never be empty. And I'm going to tell you why that is because the Lord just keeps pouring in. You know why He's pouring in? He's pouring in so He can pour through you. Read on. Verse 20, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Do you see this unselfish spirit here, ministering to the afflicted, investing in the gospel, meeting needs where you can? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Do good to all men, especially them of the household of faith. What does that mean? It means that I'll start right here at the church, but it shouldn't stop here. It should begin right here, and then it should reach out into the community of those who are lost. Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 16 says, To do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Look at the end of verse number 18, well pleasing to God. I'm not giving, I'm not serving, and I'm not sacrificing so somebody else will pat me on the back and say, Boy, you really did good. 
I'm doing it so someday when I get not to the end of this chapter, but to the end of my life and kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus, the Lord might say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is the Lord pleased with your giving? Is the Lord pleased with your giving? Is the Lord pleased with your giving? My dad said to me as a boy, son, there's two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers, and you're going to figure out which one you're going to be. Which one are you? What do you do with your time, with your energy, with your resources, with, with what God puts in your hand? See, everything we have, we are stewards of, and we're going to give an account to Almighty God for it someday. If you want to stay happy in Jesus, let me tell you, the most miserable people I've ever met are selfish people. And the most joyful people I've ever known are people who have stayed unselfish. Can I show you what God does for unselfish people? And I'll be done. Let me show you what God does. I think you'll like this. These are gifts for the giver. If you're a giver, here's what God gives you. Look at verse number 17. First of all, he puts fruit on your account in heaven. Fruit that may abound to your account. That's not your bank account here. That's the better bank account. It's the one that is insured by greater means than our U.S. government. Somebody said, if you want to find out how rich you are, add up everything money cannot buy and death cannot take away. You can't take your money with you. How many of you ever heard that? But you can send it on ahead by investing in the only thing that's going there. That's souls. Here's another thing God gives you. Look at verse number 19. You'll have your needs supplied. My God shall supply all. Does that say all in your Bible? Somebody said all means all, and that's all all means. My God shall supply all your need. Now watch this phrase, according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Study the New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the riches of His goodness. Romans eleven thirty three, 33, the riches of His wisdom. Ephesians 1, 7, the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1, 18, the riches of His glory. You know what the bottom line is? Our Father's rich. Very rich. God will take care of you. I preached this verse wrong for years. Look at the verse. It says, My God shall supply your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I used to preach it like this. You have a need, so you come to God, and God goes to His bank account and takes out of that bank account just exactly what you need and gives that to you. So out of His riches in glory, God meets every need that you have. And then one day I started studying this verse and found out that's not what this verse means. Isn't it funny how the Lord sometimes says you're off base? Did you know the phrase according to here does not mean out of? It means in direct proportion to. Look at the verse again. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Watch this, please. He doesn't give you out of what He has. He gives you in direct proportion to all He has. Watch. It means you don't just get a little of God. You have all of God's supply at your disposal. God doesn't meet the needs according to your need, but according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, there's nothing you're dealing with right now, and there's nothing you're going to face this week that God doesn't have more than enough for. Jesus is enough. So we've come to the closing verses of this letter. Let me read them to you. Look at verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Do you see the victory in verse 22? Caesar is the Roman emperor. And Paul just said, don't miss this, that some people in the Roman emperor's house had gotten saved. That's powerful stuff. 
He says, in case you're wondering, church at Philippi, you're a part of something big, really big. Can I tell you, there's nothing in town any bigger than what's going on here tonight. You can join a civic club, an organization. You can join a team or a gang or any number of things. But I want you to know there's nothing greater on earth than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. And then look at the parting prayer, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Do you remember how we started our study in Philippians chapter 1 with a prayer? And what was the prayer? The prayer was for two things. You remember? Grace and peace. And when you come to the end of the book, how are we ending? Watch this. He begins and ends with grace. And I tell you, it all begins and ends with grace. Friend, my story with the Lord began with grace. I need His grace today. And the only way I'm going to have a happy ending is by the grace of God. Every one of us needs God's grace to stay happy in Jesus. Adnarm Judson had gone to Burma preaching the gospel. He got arrested while he was there. They threw him in prison. They beat him. One day they hung him by his thumbs in a prison cell and tortured him. They led his wife in to see him that day when she saw Adnarm hanging there in excruciating pain, in and out of consciousness. She just broke down and started weeping, and Judson roused himself and saw his young bride standing there. They had had such hope, such hope. And he said to her, Ann, what are you doing here? She took a piece of paper out of her pocket, unfolded it. Through her tears, she started to read. She said, the mission agency that sent us here has written a letter. They're asking you to send home a report and tell them how the work here in Burma is progressing. Those kind of things always come right when you don't need them, don't they? And here's Adnarm Judson hanging by his thumbs in a prison cell. And you know what he says? He said, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as the promises of God. Within three hours, he was released from that prison cell, and Judson went on to evangelize Burma with the gospel of Christ. A few weeks ago, I was in South Alabama in a meeting. It was a single adult student conference for college-age young people, and a group of kids from the university, I think it was University of Central Florida, came. They all had matching T-shirts on. It was a Bible group, Bible study group, and they came to the conference. And one day, I had the privilege to have lunch with them, just me and them sitting around the table. And I said, well, tell me about your group. And I was interested in the university ministry, and they're trying to reach people there on their campus for Christ. And I said, well, how would your group get started? And they said, you know, that's a funny thing. And they said, a, a fellow came from Myanmar. You ever heard of Myanmar? And I said, you mean Burma? They said, yes. They said, well, a fellow came all the way from Burma, from Myanmar, to our university, and he was a Christian. And he was stirred up about the Lord, and he was so excited about telling others about Jesus that he started this Bible study group. And now we got all kinds of people in it studying the Bible, and people are getting saved, and great things are happening. And I said, that's amazing. And I said, you know, the, the one thing I know about Burma is I know the name of Adnarm Jetson. And immediately they all perked up, and they said, the young man that came to our university and started the Bible study group, his family was reached through the ministry years ago of Adnarm Judson. And here's what I'm thinking to myself. The future really is as bright as the promises of God. You think Judson knew that day hanging in that prison cell that one of his converts down the line was going to come back to America and reach university students with the gospel? I doubt it. I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of happy, joyful things to meet someday at the judgment seat. If we'll stay faithful to God now and stay happy in Jesus.
So my closing message to you tonight, I want to say to you that the future of your life and your family and this church and the work of God in this city is just as great as the promises of God. Oh, and by the way, all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. Claim the promises of God and move forward by faith. Father, I thank you for the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And I pray, O Lord God, you'll take the truth that's been given, that we've studied, plant the seed deep in our heart and water it by the Holy Spirit, and may it bring forth much fruit, Lord. And may it be fruit that remains. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can help to pray for you in some definite way, please contact us. You may visit us online at enjoyingthejourney.org. I would love to hear from you today. I also hope you'll share this message with others who might also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, visit our YouTube channel. And most of all, remember this, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. Sunday is the first day of the week. And every Christian ought to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in their area this Sunday. Thank you so much for listening today to the Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss the Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday. May God bless you and your family and help you to enjoy the journey today.